From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A big hello to all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations, uh, the podcast at TalkZone.com, and the Conspiracy Show app. Fabulous and free download. Those of you watching the YouTube, the live YouTube stream, and those of you joining us in the YouTube live chat. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Incidentally, we've set a modest goal of 10,000 subscribers for the YouTube channel, the the, uh, Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Uh, Check it out, and uh, please hit the red sub button. Uh, Open lines now until the bottom of the hour. Here are the phone lines, which are now open and available to you in the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, and toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740, Now until the bottom of the hour, all things conspiratorial and paranormal. And uh, just a a reminder, a programming note, that coming up after the bottom of the hour, our good friend Don Jeffries, author of History. Do you remember that? That came out a couple of years ago. And then the second edition, uh, which came out last year with a foreword by former Nixon aide and Trump confidant Roger Stone. Uh, His latest is Survival of the Richest, Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All. Uh, So no doubt we'll we'll delve into both of those uh, works when Don Jeffries joins us at the bottom of the next hour. And um, while we're waiting for the phone lines uh, to fill up and... uh, Ian Robertson is working diligently on the other side of the glass, screening those calls. Uh, let me just uh, check in with Albert. What's coming up on the show next week, Albert? Okay. Uh, next week, we our half-hour guest is Will Hart on ancient aliens, UFOs. That's at 12.30. Right. At 12.30, we have Freud and Thal. For George Freund and uh, Nelson Thal for correct. the panel. For the panel, uh, Dr. John Hall on TIs. And a colleague of Tim Beckley's. His name is also Tim Swartz. <laughs> Another Tim. And he will talk about Nikola Tesla. All right. Now, you mentioned Dr. John Hall. The reason we're having him back on, he was part of our, um, remember the, the big special we did on, uh, on targeted individuals. Have you guys been hearing about what's going on in Cuba and how a lot of uh, U.S. embassy staff are being targeted in their residences? Uh, and coming up uh, with some sort of a mystery illness. Have you been hearing about this, Albert? I, I read the article you sent me. Yeah. Right. So, so I don't know what the number is now. How many of of these um, embassy staff members? Uh, it's almost as if they are being targeted. When you read the description of it, it sounds all the world like some sort of a directed energy weapon. And now this is being reported in the mainstream news, and of course. They have no clue what could be causing this, I and mean, we do, we know. Uh, but some of the embassy staff are, um, they, they talk about, you know, walking into their, let's say, into their apartment, and then all of a sudden they're hit by this wave of, they feel this wave of energy, and they have, um, afterwards, they experience headaches and memory loss. They have difficulty recalling certain words. Uh, it, to me, it sounds all the world like some sort of, Directed energy weapon. I mean, we know the technology exists. We've seen the patents online. So, Dr. John Hall uh, will join us next week to talk about that. I mean, this could be this could be one of those stories that finally sort of breaks through to the public consciousness, and people start to catch up on, on what's going on, and and gives credence to all of these stories uh, that we've heard over the years on this program and others about targeted individuals and electronic harassment and so forth. All right. Oh, let me uh, find out here. Uh, who do we have online? Oh, how appropriate. Ed in London wants to talk about Cuba. Hello, Ed. Welcome. Yes, hello. Hi there. We were just talking about Cuba. Is that uh, you wanted to talk about these embassy staff members as well? You're stealing my thunder, yes. All right. How appropriate. All right, Ed. What do you think's going on there? Well, gee, who has the power to do that? Uh, the Americans or the, or the aliens? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, the thing is, a lot of this technology, it's not that high-tech, really, yeah. uh, anymore. I think I think it's available 
you know, it's it's no longer just. I mean, yes, there's there's other technology that might be beyond the reach of most people, but a lot of this stuff. Uh, my God, you could probably put put it together by with a trip to uh, you know Home Depot or something mm-hmm. in the Radio Shack. Uh, you know, microwave ovens that can be modified as a as a as a microwave weapon or a gun of some sort, an energy gun. So who knows? Uh, well, the, the Americans used uh, an attack on American Cuba it's in 1898, wasn't it? With the Maine, <laughs> the Maddox. Remember the Maddox. The Maine. Oh, the Maine. Remember the Maine. I'm sure. Sh- I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, they yes. Got Cuba sugar trade. They got the Guam and the Philippines. <laughs> was a phony uh, excuse to go in there. That's right. Remember the Maine when the uh, the ship blew up in uh, the was it the Havana Harbor and um, and then there was the famous line by William Randolph Hearst, uh, who sent a photographer there, and uh, he said, but there's no war going on. He said, you give me the pictures, I'll supply the war. Exactly. Well, the news media says there's 21 victims plus some Canadians, and that some have minor concussions. Where's that? In the news media about the Cuban... uh, Oh, oh, okay. ...event that said there's 21 victims. 21 victims now. There were some Canadians involved. Okay. And uh, they have minor, some of them have minor concussions. There. Interesting. A minor concussion. One other thing I want to talk about, if you don't mind. Yes. I was wondering if you'd ever have a uh, once-a-month update program or hour or something about some of the old stories you don't hear about much. Well, give me a for instance, Ed. For instance, there's a guy in England, an older gentleman, who is creating energy from the ions in air. Energy from the ions in the air. You had him on about uh, eight months ago, maybe. I did? Yes. Uh, do you remember his name? No. No, sorry. Does you... that sound familiar, Albert? Ions in the air. It sounds like you're talking about plasma. He's collecting the ions in the air and producing energy. Free energy. Hmm. An Englishman. That wasn't the Searle machine, was it? Talked to him from England. Interesting. And there's also my favorite, uh, Phil Marshall. Was there anything update on him? The late Phil Marshall. Various other. Uh, uh, okay, let me let me. Uh, I haven't heard of for a while. All right, let me just respond to uh, Phil Marshall, who was a former United Airlines pilot, uh, who wrote the book *The Big Bamboozle*, uh, which um, actually it borrowed heavily from, uh, or it mirrored in many ways, a lot of the uh, the work that uh, Senator Bob Graham of Florida did in the first yeah. 9/11 Commission that we don't hear about. We only hear about the second one. Yeah. Uh, the first one was heavily redacted. He had uh, tr- he and his investigators, he had a crack team of investigators. They tried to subpoena FBI agents and so forth, uh, and they were just stonewalled at every turn, mm-hmm. uh, not allowed to speak to many people who, who, who were in the field, swearing up and down that they were tailing um, these hijackers on the ground and also the and, um, Saudi diplomats uh, who were shielding them and so forth. Uh, then uh, what happened, I met Phil Marshall several times in Santa Monica, interviewed him, had him on my radio show, uh, interviewed him for my television program, although that episode was never released, uh, or has not been as yet, hopefully one day. Right. Uh, Phil Marshall and I corresponded, not not a lot, but I would say probably over the uh, couple of years that I knew him, there were maybe three dozen emails. And I'm I'm someone who does not delete emails. Uh, because this is how I keep, it's not a great way, but this is the way I keep track of contact information. Mm-hmm. And, and so, that's just a bit of the backstory. Lo and behold, one day, I get an email from someone with a, a link to a, um, a newspaper article up in, I believe it was in Santa Barbara. And there, uh, I opened it up, and there it said, Conspiracy theorist Phil Marshall kills own children before turning the gun on himself. Mm-hmm. A double uh, murder and then a suicide. And I tell you, I just about fell out of my chair. Uh, one of the things that I I do immediately when I learn of someone's death is, if I've known them well, I go back and I check the last email thread. I don't know why I do that. I just I, I feel like, well, what did we talk about the last time and when did we talk? I went into my email and every there was no record of any um, correspondence with Phil Marshall. Oh, yeah. Gone. All of them. That's All three dozen. Delicious. I don't know how that happened. I've heard about theories that uh, Phil Marshall, uh, neighbors have said that they saw a suspicious car outside the house before. Uh, he was found in a gun, with a gun in his uh, right hand, but he was left-handed, and all these little different discrepancies. I don't know. I, I can tell you, Phil Marshall, to me, I, I can't say that I knew him that well. 
He seemed like an incredibly level-headed. He seemed like a, he was an affable person, a likable person. He seemed genuine, kind. Never in a million years would I guess, you know, that he would do something like that. Um, you know, the the argument is that if you want to discredit somebody, there's no better way than to turn them into a a murderer and then they kill themselves and they can't obviously defend themselves. Is is that what happened to Phil Marshall? I don't know. But if you read The Big Bamboozle, I think he came closer to most uh, sort of, of tying that whole thing together. Yeah. Greatest guy, I think. Well, uh, yes. I mean, obviously now his whole legacy is tainted, <clears throat> excuse me, by... You know the allegations that he, um, you know, he killed his own children, which is just unspeakable. And his dog, and, his dog, uh, and before turning the gun on himself. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone who's still on that case. I was contacted by some sort of independent researchers, investigators. I think they were trying to put a documentary together. I think I had him on the show several years ago. But I'll I'll, I'll look back and see if I can find anything uh, for an update on Phil Marshall and this other gentleman that you mentioned. It doesn't ring a bell, but I'm I'll look into it. All right. Ed, thank you so much for that. I agree with you. I appreciate it. Thanks for checking in, Ed. Thanks for talking to me. Likewise. All right. Uh, do we have time for one more, uh, Ian, before the break? No. He's waving me off. So we will uh, we'll check in with Rob in Mississauga, who wants to talk about a Roswell spaceship. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Open line. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Open lines now until the bottom of the hour. And I'll tell you what, we'll also throw open questions from those in our YouTube live chat. Those of you who um, they are so faithful, so loyal, they join us every week when we're doing the, uh, the YouTube stream. And uh, give them an opportunity to participate. And they can submit their questions on the uh, the live chat. Don Jeffries coming up at the uh, just after the bottom of the hour. Survival of the richest: How the corruption of the marketplace and the disparity of wealth created the gre- greatest conspiracy of all. And of course, um, he also penned another very impressive uh, tome documenting the hidden history of the United States. He's a longtime JFK researcher, and uh, we will uh, talk to Don Jeffries at length. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, just a, a note again for next week. Dr. John Hall will be with us. We'll talk about what's going on in Cuba. All these cases, uh, one of our callers from London said it's now up to 21. These are embassy staff, uh, employees, and so forth in Cuba uh, who seem to be the victims of some sort of directed energy weapon. The mainstream media is not sure what to make of the story, but um, it does seem to, uh, it sounds familiar for those of us familiar with the uh, whole targeted individual phenomenon. John uh, Hall will—he's um, an expert in this field. He'll—he'll uh, he'll talk to us about that next week. Nelson Thal, media scientist, and George Freund from Conspiracy Cafe on our panel uh, will also—well, uh, lots going on next week. But I will give you a heads up at the in the second hour, the top beginning of the second hour, I will make a um, a big announcement uh, for the uh, for the Conspiracy Show program. So make sure you're staying tuned for that. All right, let's head out to Mississauga and uh, welcome Rob to the Conspiracy Show. Rob, good morning. Thank you. How are you doing, buddy? I'm well. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. So when I hear talk about Roswald, yeah. you know, we always hear about witnesses and, and then witnesses being threatened and recanting their stories and et cetera, et cetera. But if we reason that out, right, I mean, there was a small ship recovered. It wasn't like as if it was some galaxy-class starship that could travel millions and billions of miles. So if it was a small ship, then it, maybe it was like a shuttle. So if it was a shuttle and there was some huge starship orbiting the Earth, cloaked or whatever, right. I mean, why didn't it come and retrieve it? So I'm really skeptical about it. Like, it doesn't make really any any uh, logical sense. Well, you should be skeptical, Rob. I mean, I'm skeptical. Um, but I just... such a small little ship that fed on a tiny right. little transport. Well, it, 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 it appears there may have been two, two disks, not one. We often hear of one, but there, uh, one crash. But there, it, it appears there were two debris sites, two crashes. Uh, I don't know. What to make of it? I mean, you raise some excellent points, but I do. I go back to the witness, the witness testimony, and and uh, Don Schmidt has just done a, an incredible job documenting documenting witness testimony, deathbed testimonies, but and it, then and then the children, and and 
and I know that you can say, well, okay, that was 70 years ago. Memories become fogged and so forth. Um, but, I mean, eyewitness testimony is, is fundamental to our, our current judicial system. Uh, it is considered, you know, evidence and something. They witnessed something. I, I don't believe it was a balloon. Now, to your question about, you know, were these uh, shuttles? That's an excellent point. Maybe we're not talking about something extraterrestrial. Maybe it's something we're talking about entities that have that have been here from the beginning. You know, we we, we hear reports of of craft coming out of the ocean and, and so forth. Maybe they're here. Maybe they've always been here. What do you think about that, Rob? Maybe it was one of those single-winged. Remember, they used to. They, they were trying to build a, a you know, a, a, an airplane or a jet with just a single-wing airplane. Do yes. You those? Yes. Maybe it was some futuristic uh, experimental plane that they were, or jet that they were trying to, uh, you know, just test, because that's where they test in Nevada, right? Uh, uh, possi- possibly. Uh, Nick Redfern and uh, uh, Joseph Farrell have uh, very different views. I'm not sure if Nick Redfern is on the same page as Farrell, but I, I think he is. I mean, Farrell believes that, that this could have been uh, experimental German aircraft based in Argentina, uh, and that you know the reason that they didn't they didn't announce this was imagine you know 1947 two years after the war was supposedly over to say that the Germans are still the Nazis are still in operation and they're launching you know aerial vehicles uh, against the United States I mean that that would have just sounded beyond the pale so why not make up a story that sounds even more ridiculous and say well it's aliens oh no no it wasn't an alien it was a weather balloon I think that the origin or or that the the answers to everything that we want to know about this planet somewhere lie in Egypt you know with the, with the pyramids and with the Sphinx hmm. something buried under the sand there that that we'll eventually find fascinating fascinating idea take care Rob you raise a lot of great questions and I hope you'll call again all right, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740. Last call to the phones as we approach the bottom of the hour. Toll free from out of town, 1-866-740-4740, 866-740-4740. Why don't we go to the uh, the live uh, chat on YouTube, and uh, Ryan, what do we have? Yeah, we have a, a good question from Gord. I'm not familiar with this case, but uh, other Friends in YouTube are, are saying it's a really good question. Gord wants to know if there are any updates on the Bank of Canada lawsuit uh, by constitutional lawyer Rocco Galati, and it's supported by former uh, Deputy Minister Paul Hellyer. Right. Um, we had Rocco on the show at least once. I had him on Coast to Coast once as well. I think I had him on here twice, didn't we, Albert? Because uh, we did an update with him. Yeah. Rocco Galati has taken this case, and he... I think the last time we talked to him, it was at the Federal Appeals Court, one step below the Supreme Court. Not exactly sure, but he was being sort of stymied with procedural wrangling at every step of the way. Basically, what it is is this. We have the Bank of Canada, which unlike other banks, other central banks, like the Federal Reserve or the Federal Bank of Italy or the Federal Bank, the, the, you know, the, uh, the Bank of England, those banks are all owned by they're private they're central banks but they're not owned by the people the the bank of canada is owned by the citizens of canada and it was in fact nationalized uh by president or uh, by prime minister uh william lyon mackenzie king i believe in the 1930s around 1937 i'm not sure i'm a little sketchy on the actual date but at that time there was uh passed into law, something called the Bank of Canada Act, which means that the Bank of Canada's role is to lend money at zero or very low interest to various levels of government. So the municipal governments of Canada could go to the central bank, the Bank of Canada, and borrow money at zero interest. Provincial governments could do so, and the federal government can do so. There is a limit uh, it, I believe it has to do with a percentage of the uh, the entire federal budget. So there are limits to that. But this this Bank of Canada Act was in operation until the early to mid-1970s. So, for example, when the federal government wanted to build the St. Lawrence Seaway, a huge infrastructure undertaking, that was and the Trans-Canada Highway. Those two things were paid for by borrowing from the Bank of Canada. When uh, when we uh, we started to uh, 
you know, create the social safety net in Canada, uh, the, um, uh, you know, free med- med- medical um, uh, assistance for people, free medical care. That was in large measure paid for through the Bank of Canada. What happened in the 1970s, however, was a Trudeau, a Prime Minister Trudeau, changed the way that we borrow money. We no longer borrow from the Bank of Canada. In other, in other words, we no longer borrow from ourselves. Now we go to foreign lenders and we pay huge interest rates. And this is how we have suddenly a $600 billion federal debt add on all of the provincial debts by going to federal uh, to international lenders uh, and, and paying compound interest. Most of the debt we have is accumulated compound interest. We pay more in interest uh, every year to service the debt than we do on national defense, for example, or more than we do on health care. It's ridiculous. So, obviously, parliamentarians are ignoring the Bank of Canada Act, and Rocco Galati has taken this case. He's accused prime ministers, even the Queen of England, of uh, being involved in a criminal conspiracy. It sounds, you know, pretty out there, but we do have, there's no denying what the Bank of Canada Act set out to accomplish and the fact that we're no longer, uh, we are no longer borrowing from the Bank of Canada. We have surrendered in many respects our sovereignty to foreign lenders. And uh, th- this is, in a nutshell, what, the, what this case is all about. I don't know um, where Rocco Galati is at with this. I'll have to check in and maybe do an update. It's a fascinating case. And somebody asked Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about uh, the Bank of Canada, and they captured this on YouTube. It was posted on YouTube. And, of course, predictably, the Prime Minister said, oh, I don't deal in conspiracies. It's not a conspiracy. The the Bank of Canada Act, it it was the law of the land, and it's being ignored. I I don't see there's any way you can refute that. What else do we have, Ryan? I was going to say it sounds classic of of Pierre and and Justin, of course. Uh, But our good friend YY, uh, great question. And, you know, YY was actually very, very close uh, with the remote viewing today. YY guessed a a ball, blue, white, and green. And certainly one of the 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 pom-poms are Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. She, uh, uh, okay, what do you think, guys? She guessed, and here I have the uh, the pom-pom from the slipper, and there's some white in it, there's some blue, there's some green, there's also some black. Certainly pretty close. Yeah, she got part of it. What do you think, Albert? Part of it, yeah. Is she deserving? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think I hate it would have been a woman's slipper. <laughs> <laughs> she, got, she got part of it. Well, yeah. you know what? I'll, um, I think I'm going to send YY out a mug. Cool. All right. There you go. Um, YY's question is, what do you think, uh, your opinion on what's causing, uh, in, in the David Politis' work, missing 411, all these disappearances, what's causing them? Wow. Ah, uh, you know what? That, that, that has me up a tree. It has me up a tree. I mean, the easy answer would be to say that these are alien abductions, but I don't know. I mean, I'm skeptical of everything, as you know. Uh, it, it's a possibility, um, you know, that... that um, Alien abductions or demonic abductions, if you want to go that route, are, are involved. But the clusters are fascinating. Where these disappearances take place, Crater Lake, for example, up in, um, is that in uh, Washington State? I think Oregon. Oregon, right, Oregon, Crater Lake. There's a huge cluster of disappearances there. The clusters are, are fascinating to me. And the fact that these people, we're not talking about people that were mauled by a bear or taken by a mountain lion. I mean, in some cases, they are they are found nude with their clothes, you know, almost like folded neatly nearby and, and, uh, or children being found in places there's no way they could have gotten to. Um, it, I, it has me up a tree. And um, I, I believe, I haven't read uh, Politis' last volume, but I think he kind of is getting closer to sort of hinting at what he, think is, what he thinks is going on. Um, but I, I, I can't even hazard a guess outside, you know, the alien abduction uh realm as a possibility, and that, that has to be considered remote. However, when you eliminate everything else, however seemingly impossible it may seem, that's your answer. I didn't do a great job answering your question, why, why, but um, it, hey, you know, it's one of those great riddles we may never solve. But th- that would be my, my, um, my best guess at this point. We're talking about some sort of interdimensional 
extraterrestrial um, being or entity that's responsible for these disappearances. All right. Any others from our live YouTube chat? Yeah, Merlin has one. Merlin wants to know if you know anything about uh, this this new scientific theory called the Grand Solar Minimum, where growing food is going to become a real problem in the next few years. The Grand Solar Minimum. No, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with that term. Um, but back in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, this theory sounds familiar. We had... Uh, and this, this was back in the day when people were warn, warning us about global cooling. So before that, and then, and then after that, we had the great, the great oil crash, um, you know, peak oil. So every, every few years, these theories about, you know, humanity's demise comes down the pipe. And, and back in the late 60s, there was, there was a whole book about how we were not going to be able to produce enough food. And uh, this was going to cause, you know, a huge crash in, in, in population. Uh, and, and these things never, never happen. Uh, the, the fact is, we are becoming so incredibly efficient and uh, at, at producing more and more food. And I know that GMOs are problematic for many people, and and and, and uh, agricultural practices, uh, factory farms, and so forth. There are some problems with it, no question. Um, but I mean, we can feed the world uh, many times over. It's it's not a food production problem. It's a food distribution problem. It's a it's a political issue. Uh, it's not a resource issue. And uh, so, on the surface, I would have to dismiss that as a possibility. Uh, there are other problems, of course. You know, uh, relating to listen, climate change is real. I'm not denying climate. Uh, the, the question is who is responsible for it. But there there will be you know. And the Earth is cooling, I believe. That's the long, the, the the short term is that the Earth will actually cool, uh, and there will be zones uh, uh, that are currently temperate zones where we may not be able to to produce. Uh, you know, just as a micro here in in uh, up in Thornhill where I live, uh, and many of us in southern Ontario who have gardens. You know, I'm just starting now to harvest tomatoes. It was such a horrible year with all the precipitation and uh, no sunshine and cool weather. Uh, it was a horrible growing season. So, you know, we'll continue to see that. Comer is the name of the organization suing the Bank of Canada. Comer. All right. Thank you. If they Google that, then a press release should come up. Yeah. Comer versus Bank of Canada. Excellent. Good work, Albert. Let's, yeah, let's see if we can get, um, Rocco Galati back on, uh, to discuss that. Uh, just quickly, what's going to happen with the world's population? It'll probably peak at around 12, 15 billion, and then it's going to start to, Stabilize and then decline, actually. I'm not concerned about overpopulation, and I'm not concerned about a lack of food. Don Jeffries, my guest on the other side. Survival of the richest and hidden history. Stay with us. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, welcome back. Don Jeffries has been researching the JFK assassination since the mid-1970s. His first published book, the acclaimed 2007 novel The Unreals, has been compared to Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz. Uh, then Hidden History, his first non-fiction book, uh, the um, revised edition from 2016 with a foreword by Roger Stone, and uh, his latest is Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All. Don Jeffries, how are you, my friend? Welcome back. Hi, thanks. How are you? Great, great. How's the, how's the book doing, by by the way, Survival of the Richest? Uh, it's gotten a lot of critical praise. Uh, it needs more sales. The Amazon rankings uh, was doing great. Uh, hopefully it'll pick up again once I do more interviews, but it's, everybody that's, uh, you know, has acclaimed it, I mean, has uh, reviewed it so far has said nothing but good things about it. Excellent. Well, we're going to get you back on Coast to Coast as well real soon, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll draw some more attention to this fine book. Uh, I want to ask you, just let's give us a, let's look at a snapshot of what's going on right now in terms of the, the U.S. economy, and, and um, I noted the second quarter uh, GDP is up to about 3%. Um, I think the jobless rate um, fell something like 14,000 last week. I mean, I don't know. Is it getting better? I'm hearing 
sort of mixed mixed reports. Obviously, you know the, the, the Hurricane Irma and things is, is going to set things back. But what's your what's your your gut feeling about the the momentum in the economy? Well, certainly the the Trump administration, like previous administrations, will, will always paint the rosiest picture possible. So. Uh, the unemployment, the jobless figures that you mentioned are the same statistics that he very correctly identified as bogus during his campaign because, mm-hmm. as you know, they only count those people who are presently receiving unemployment benefits. So when the unemployment rate goes down, it actually probably means more people out of work because people just, uh, they're not, they're, their uh, unemployment benefits have ran out. You know, we still have 94 million uh, adult Americans out of work, as far as I know. Uh, the H-1B visa program was not ended back in April when it could have been. That would have helped a lot. Um, who knows what's going on with immigration? Trump is sending mixed signals there if DACA happens. And who knows uh, how many more people get uh, amnesty. Again, you're going to have that many more people in the country to compete for a scarcity of jobs. So I, I don't hold that much hope for the economy. I, I, you know, So far I've been very disappointed in Trump. Uh, something has to be done. Uh, a lot has to be done. But I mean, you know, we we can get into deeper things about how you know, no one's even talking about the the banking system. We have to have a, an honest money system. And Trump actually talked about auditing the Fed. I don't hear him talking about that now. So there's, and obviously the the way we continue our foreign misadventures. That's why it's so disappointing. We're supposed to put America first, and we're definitely not doing that. America first doesn't uh, uh, involve a saber rattling with North Korea and bombing Syria and so forth. It seems on the surface that uh, the globalists uh, are, are winning. That maybe you know he surrounded himself with a lot of CFR types and, and Wall Street types and globalists. Some some of his supporters uh, were saying, "Well, he's." It's the old adage: you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And and but it seems to me like the globalists have his ear and they're winning. Yeah, well, I just I, I I've never seen anything like this. The most remarkable thing ever, as far as I can determine, unless you count maybe Bannon and maybe General Flynn, both of whom are gone. Flynn never even had a chance. Everyone in the Trump administration that has any power or influence uh, didn't support him during his campaign, and many were never Trumpers. He's got uh, you know Nikki Haley as the UN ambassador, who is a very strident never Trumper. And she's, you know, over there, you know, beating the drums for war, you know, like all the neocons are. And I just don't understand. This is really unprecedented. Every other administration at least had a, you know, you're going back to Kennedy with the Irish Mafia and Jimmy Carter's Georgia Mafia. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan even had Pat Buchanan in the White House for a while as a speechwriter. I don't see any of that with Trump. I mean, where's Roger Stone? He probably should have been chief of staff. Uh, why wasn't uh, Judge Napolitano the nominee for the Supreme Court? Um, you know, where's uh, Dinesh D'Souza, uh, Paul that... Craig Roberts? There are lots of great people out there on the right who could be in there having Trump ears, Trump's ear who actually support him. Pat Buchanan would be wonderful yes. to be in there. Yes. That's why so many people are disappointed, because I don't, I don't understand the idea that he's, you know, he's somehow powerless to appoint who he wants. I, I, I really don't get that. He hasn't even tried to get any outsiders in, as far as I know. Yes, he seems to have effectively uh, isolated himself. Uh, I want to just shift gears here and, and talk about um, artificial intelligence because if we think that jobs are scarce now, you know these manufacturing jobs that Trump is talking about bringing back, they're not coming back. And in, in fact, uh, I, recently, well, within the last six months, the governor of Arizona was on a talk show uh, talking with great joy about um, this um, company that was coming to Arizona that was going to be one of the the main companies. Uh, you know, moving towards the driverless car, and I mean, I, the, I, the the statistics is something like: is it one in four or one in five uh, jobs in America are tied to driving, driving a truck, or driving a cab? Or, I mean, artificial intelligence is, is, is and and um, technology. I mean, it's gonna, it's going to leave millions and millions of people on the curb. Right, and, and, and these, are, these are the things, that, like you talk about the factories coming back, that may be an impossibility, but we have to address it somehow. And the problem is, everything we talk about, that I talk about, whether it's politics or the, you know, the economy or the survival of the richest uh, uh, book, it, it involves the fact that we have awful leadership, whether they're incompetent, corrupt, or both. They just, that's why this, is, this requires some real out-of-the-box and big-picture thinking as to how to uh, address all the artificial intelligence, how to incorporate robotics, make, how to incorporate technology to make everyone's lives better and more comfortable, which we should be able to do. 
But unfortunately, there's so much wealth accumulated at the top, and, and those people are not going to give up their creature comforts, and they're certainly, I'm sure, looking forward to having robots so they don't have, eventually may have to pay anyone. But for the rest of the people, the great mass of people, you have to either decide, are you just going to consign them to uh, worse than third world uh, poverty status? Are they just going to be dying in the gutter? What are you going to do with them? And again, we don't have any leadership. There, there, there's, I mean, something as simple as Social Security, they can't even solve that because they won't address the core issue, which is the fact that all income is not taxed for Social Security, only the first $119,000 are. And it should be strictly means-tested. That's the only way to save it. But instead, their typical uh, solution is to keep uh, raising their retirement age. So with robotics, they'll come up with a, a, an infantile solution like that. That, that is no solution. But that's, that's the problem we face with every one of these issues. We do have monumental uh, problems out there, but they can be solved with, with some kind of honest thinking and, and non-corrupt and, and, and competent leaders. Well, the, the state of Hawaii has floated the idea. I mean, they're seriously considering this, instituting a guaranteed income. I mean, on the right. surface, it's an idea that I find reprehensible because right. I just think it, it just totally, there's no incentive uh, to work at that point. But right. on, the other, on the flip side, if there aren't going to be any jobs, right. what are you going to do? Um, with you know millions of citizens, so what, what do you think of the idea of a guaranteed income? Well, yeah, I mean, again, it's kind of a defeatist position, but I, I don't see any other alternative at this point because once the robotics kicks in and uh, the increases in technology and, and the fact that uh, you know all the outsourcing and uh, visa workers and so forth, you're going to have so many citizens, and of course, this applies around the world, but I'm speaking specifically of America. What are you going to do with those, you know, you might at that point have 150 to 200 million adult million uh, Americans out of age if you have 94 million now. Who knows? But what are you going to do with those people? So you have to come up with either they can you know, have this watered-down welfare and food stamps, which the people who are working resent, or you can come up with some kind of a plan like that. And I, again, it's certainly like you. It's not my ideal plan, but... Unfortunately, we've created this mess, and, and it's been created by just an incredible amount of greed at the top, uh, because the wealth is so concentrated in so few hands, uh, and we don't seem to be able to want to or come up with any kind of way to try to distribute that down a little bit more fairly. Uh, so I, I don't know or right now of any better solution, but again, if you had honest and competent leadership, you probably could sit down, you know, if you had people like Ron Paul on the right, Dennis Kucinich on the left, Cynthia McKinney on the left, Pat Buchanan on the right. But they all sat down. I think they could probably come up with some kind of solution that uh, would work. Well, and, and unfortunately, the climate is such that that's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, where are the the liberals of good conscience who used to, you know, stand up for the working man? Uh, they would have something in common with, with Trump, maybe not the the other rank-and-file members of the, the, the Republican Party in the House, but there is not, I mean, the, that dialogue is not happening. We'll uh, come back and continue to uh, speak with Donald Jeffries, Survival of the Richest, how the corruption of the marketplace and the disparity of wealth created the greatest conspiracy of all. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Don Jeffrey stays with us. His latest is Survival of the Richest. Uh, one of the chapters you, you in the book you dedicate to um, uh, Huey Long, who was the governor of uh, Louisiana and was kind of a, an arch rival of Franklin Roosevelt. He opposed the New Deal um, and um, later became a senator, uh, was assassinated. But he is sort of the uh, the archetypal... Um, uh, populist. Tell us a little bit about about Huey Long. Yeah, boy, he's he's my political hero. <clears throat> Has been since I was a kid. And uh, you're right, he is the the epitome of a populist, and that's what I consider myself. He was powerful. He was always for the little guy. As a lawyer, he always said, "I never took a case against a poor man." And he took on the most powerful enemies imaginable, from the Rockefellers and Standard Oil to all the big banks. He was one of the early critics of the Fed. Uh, he was against World War One, and I think he probably would have been uh, among those on the left. We were, we were substantial numbers that were against our entrance into World War Two until Pearl Harbor. Uh, he was. I, I think that 
if he had lived, there's no telling what would have happened, because I think he could easily have become president. And I think that's why he was assassinated. But people don't realize what an impact he had on national policy. He really, one of the few thing, good things that came out of FDR's New Deal was the National Labor Relations Act of 1938. People don't know much about that legislation. It's probably the most important legislation in the history of America, as far as working people are concerned. Until that time, there was no such thing. It's, it brought us the 40-hour work week, brought us the concept of overtime, sick leave and vacation leave, pensions and so forth. Now, Huey Long was lobbying early on. He wanted a 30-hour, maybe 20-hour work week. And this is the 1930s. I can't imagine when he'd look at today at the number of people unemployed and the technology, and he'd probably be advocating for a 10-hour work week. No, you know, I well, would think. In other words, I mean, that, was, that would have been a sort of a temporary uh, solution to... Uh, you know, during during the depression, in in, or, in order to sort of share the wealth in terms of jobs. So instead of one person working forty, you have two people working twenty. Well, I don't know that he thought it was temporary. I think because if you listen to his speeches, are just incredible. They're still they still. I, I urge anybody to just you can find his speeches online, and he's just a captivating speaker. He had more mail than any United States senator that ever received ever, before or since. Uh, people used to come. He was he was like a rock star, and used to watch him speak personally in the Senate back when you could do that. But uh, I think that he his speeches talked about he wanted more leisure time. He was advocating for every worker to have three months off every year. Just imagine that, and uh, to enjoy the blessings of liberty bestowed by God. He was very religious, and mm-hmm. his speeches are just wonderful. I'm like no other politician has ever advocated that so much directly be given. I'm not talking about, you know, typical liberal Democrats uh, with their rhetoric about, you know, creating a, uh, another bureaucracy in a program where something may trickle to, so, to a few, but most of it gets lost in the, in, in the red tape. Right, like the Great Society of LBJ, exactly. which solved that's, nothing. Yeah, and that's why Huey Long opposed the New Deal, which was probably, I think, superior in, in most ways to what the, the Great Society was. But uh, Huey Long wanted to bypass all that, and he was talking, most people don't realize, his tax plan was very detailed. He worked with economists, uh, you know, renegade economists, and they were going to exempt the first million dollars of income. This was in the 1930s. That would be like, what, $50 million today? Right. So right. nobody, virtually no one would have been paying taxes except for the absolute 1%. That's why he was so dangerous. He wasn't talking about setting up a program where everyone paid tax and the, the vast uh, majority of the taxes would be paid by the middle class and everybody that's what happens to all these programs so if there is a redistribution it basically goes from the upper middle class and middle class uh, trickling down a little bit to the poor right but because of the loopholes and taxes and so forth the very wealthy uh, always got away from right so he wasn't talking about the run-of-the-mill rich you know someone who owned a mansion he, you know right. he was talking about like people like the the Carnegies and the yeah. the Mellons and the well, right. today would have been the Forbes and the, uh, the that we're talking about the the one 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 thousandth of a percent, not the one percent. Right, and that's and that's what he, he called them out by name, and he, he made a life. I mean, the the Rockefellers and Standard Oil, I believe, were the main people uh, you know they were behind his, uh, trying to get him impeached constantly because he had fought Standard Oil, and uh, you know he he had so many enemies, and if you. If you look at what happened after he died, he should be a hero to the left because he he walked the walk. I mean, you go online, and I've I've been able to establish a relationship with his great-granddaughter who is continuing his work or trying to continue his work as best she can, and she runs a website that that has all the stats there for people. I I put a lot of them in the book where it shows you this guy, you know, his, his policies basically eliminated property taxes for everyone but the very wealthy. He uh, basically did away with, he stopped foreclosures on farmers and the poor. He uh, saved every household of a substantial amount in utility bills, things that everyone notices. You know, somebody passes a program, most people don't notice the effects of that program, but if you suddenly are paying, you know, $100 less a month in utilities, you're going to notice that, and you're going to love the guy that did it. And that's why he was so beloved by black and white of both. I mean, he alone in that, in that era in the South in the 1930s, he never played racial politics, opposed to KKK strongly. That's why he was so dangerous. He would, have, he would have been anathema to today's left because he would not have played identity politics, and he would have done what, like, what I try to do and, and when I talk about this stuff, is to focus on class and not uh, you know, race, sex, gender, religion, all that, because that just serves to divide people. And the, and the very wealthy 
love to have people do it. They love that kind of fractionalization because that uh, distracts people from the core problem, which is the people at the top have taken pretty much everything. It, it, it's, you're right, it, and it seems to me that, that that's the, the Democratic Party. Yes, the Republican Party is in big trouble because they just don't seem to stand for anything. But the Democratic Party uh, have gone so far to the left uh, uh, that you need a viable two-party system. And I don't know what's going to happen, whether there's going to be a rise of the Trump Party or what's if he runs as an independent, if he gets elected. I don't know what the future of the Democratic or the, Dem- uh, the Republican Party is in the well, next I, four I don't years. I don't, I don't think there'll ever be another Republican president. I, I, I don't know if Trump will be reelected. We'll have to see. But uh, because the Democrats are, are, you know, are despised too. But Trump was elected. Uh, you know, it's the first time I ever voted for a Republican. And I think a lot of people were like me because we didn't think he was a Republican. He thought he sounded like a populist and he was yes. an independent. Now that he's governing, like I mean, uh, you know, we didn't vote for Jeb Bush no. or Ted Cruz. Exactly. And that's what we're getting. And. Uh, you know, they will. Ne- those guys, Paul Ryan. I mean, this guy is one of the most odious politicians that, that ever lived. He wouldn't get you know thirty percent of the vote if he ran. He's completely delusional. The problem is on the left. They have. When you say they drifted far left, well, they have on 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 social and cultural issues. Most of them. But as, in terms of civil liberties, they, they are, they are, uh, most of them seem to oppose the First Amendment. I mean, they just want to get people fired for 100%. things they say. And it's, it's awful. There are no civil libertarians there. All they care about is identity politics. And they offend a huge amount of people who will never, you know, will never ever come around to transgender bathrooms and that kind of stuff. And it's, but that's what they focus on. And that's, that's fine if they want to make that an issue, but they stress that. And you don't see any peace Democrats beyond the Dennis Kucinich's and, and Cynthia McKinney, who are no longer welcome in the halls of Congress. The ones that are left there, they keep getting elected. They're all pro-war Democrats, and that's why Trump's only good press he's had since he's been in office is when he bombed Syria, he bombed... Isn't Africa. that interesting? It's so yeah. telling, isn't it? Suddenly acting presidential, I say. <laughs> yes, isn't that interesting? Is yeah. So, uh, I mean, are there any... Huey Long's out there in the reeds that, that you're aware of that may be considering, uh, you know, maybe they could run as an independent. Well, the only, I mean, they're, 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 uh, Cynthia McKinney has a lot of Huey Long in her, and uh, she ran for the Green Party president I voted for in 2008, but I mean, uh, you know, she didn't get very many votes. Dennis Kucinich ran for president once. I think he has a lot of, you know, they called him a populist mayor of Cleveland back when he got his start. He has a lot of populism in him, but you know neither one of them are in Congress anymore. I, I, I don't know any young people that are in there. The popul- hopefully, you know, maybe some people will be inspired uh, by Bernie Sanders, who again incorporated a lot of populism into his campaign, and Trump, because if you combine some of their elements, if you combine Bernie Sanders' uh, calling out of, uh, of the, the disparity of wealth. With Trump's talking about uh, you know the awful uh, performance of the mainstream media and and, and uh, mentioning all the lies and the corruption and draining the swamp, which obviously he's not doing, but someone needs to drain the swamp. And I think that's a, until that swamp is drained, or at least till we have at least a majority of people in Congress that are at least honest, that are not uh, so easily corruptible. I, I, I don't know what any part. I think Trump is proving if if, if he was sincere. It's probably proving that one person can't accomplish this. So there has to be some kind of movement. I think things are going to reach a critical mass because Trump's base is already burning their MAGA hats and so forth. They're, they're already becoming disillusioned with him. And uh, Bernie Sanders, a lot of his people were disillusioned with the way he collapsed and, and just supported Hillary Clinton when there was such obvious voting fraud there and they stole the nomination from him. So people are not going to be satisfied. I don't think in four years... I think you'll have the lowest voter turnout on record if you see Paul Ryan running against uh, Kamala Harris, the new, the latest new star. Who again is just has a history of insider type uh, corruption, and you know, she set up an awful immigrant program out there in California where she gave uh, um, basically a free pass to immigrant criminals. And, and here we have you know our prisons full of American citizens who aren't getting free passes. So. You know, I, I don't, those kind of choices, I can't see people, or if The Rock, they're talking about the former wrestler turned actor, The Rock running it. Right. Yeah, know, I, I, Trump may have, for many people, he was the last best chance, and yeah. it, in less than a year, it seems like he's crashing and burning and capitulating. Yep. Are you, are you 
still, are you fearful, we're just about out of time, Don, but are you fearful of civil war because of obviously race relations that are at an all-time low and then we have the haves and the have-nots and, and so forth? It's just, it just seems to be the perfect storm. Oh, it, it really does. I am. And, and I think it could break down along so many lines. You talk about racial lines, class lines, cultural lines. There's so, And again, the people just, if the Trump, if Trump ends up completely betraying his base, it's those people get in, 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 you know end up uh, getting to the point where they uh, will go commit acts of violence, or Bernie Sanders people go, go out there. There's so many people that are mad because so many people realize things are wrong, realize that things are corrupt. They may be pointing fingers in different directions, but no one thinks only people that have wonderful lives and are in, you know are making lots of money and their kids' futures seem secure or they're in the corridors of power, those are the only people that would sit there and give a thumbs up to the way America is being run. The rest of us realize it's yeah, it's headed for civil war or, or economic collapse or, or both, perhaps. Don Jeffries, Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All, the website donaldjeffries.wordpress.com. Thank you, Don. Thanks for having me, Richard. Talk to you on Coast next month. All right, my thanks to Ian Robertson, Albert Vinzel, Ryan White, all of you for listening. Back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.